couple of weeks ago, we had a a singspiration, and and uh, Jerry had asked that that we do a song, "The Anchor Holds," and I struggled through doing that. But in since that time, when he first gave me that email and asked that, I've been pondering because I hadn't heard that song in years and years, and I started thinking about that in relation to our people. This has been a tough year, this last year, has been tough on a lot of people. A lot of people have gone through a lot of stuff in the last year, and they still are. Uh, People struggling with health issues, things uh, happening financially or family-wise or accidents, a hundred different things that I could bring up. People who are struggling far more today than they were 365 days ago. You know, it's been a a hard year on a lot of people. But the anchor holds. It it still holds. And I, you know, I'm a World War II naval buff, and I started thinking about that in light of uh, one ship that I've always just been fascinated with, and that was the USS Enterprise, the uh, aircraft carrier of World War II. And, and as you look at that carrier, it wasn't the biggest. It was a Yorktown class. Um, the Essex classes that came out later in the war were much bigger. But there was something special about the Enterprise because it was in every major engagement in World War II, and it came through. It was bombed, and I wish I could remember the numbers exactly, but I believe it was 19 different times bombs actually hit the Enterprise. Uh, And something to the tune of 15 torpedoes hit that ship. But she just kept floating. She just kept floating. Admiral Bull Halsey, William Halsey, always carried his flag on the Enterprise. He could have put it on one of the new... Um, roomier, more comfortable Essex-class carriers, but he said, no, my flag will always fly on the Big E because the Big E always kept going. It always kept fighting, and it never let down. The Japanese often talked about their fear of the Enterprise when they found out the Enterprise was going to be in an engagement. It actually had a psychological effect on the enemy to know that the this old, outdated underpowered aircraft carrier of the Americans was going to be there because every time the Enterprise showed up, they took a beating and she floated home. And you know, sometimes our life in Christ is that way. See, I'm getting wound up and I'm trying not to. (laughs) Sometimes our life in Christ is that way. It seems like the enemy just keeps bombing and keeps bombing and keeps bombing and it keeps hitting and we keep getting injured, but somehow the anchor holds. Somehow we get through it. I want to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 real quickly. And as we look at this, I want you to remember something. As a child of God, you were chosen It's not an accident that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It isn't by chance. It isn't by a mistake. It isn't by anything but the fact that Almighty God chose you. The Bible says that you were, He knew you in your mother's womb. He knew you before you were ever born. He looked at you before you were ever conceived. He knew you. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. 
2 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, and I'm reading the Amplified, it says, but we should and are morally obligated as debtors to give thanks to God for you, believers beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that sets you apart for God's purpose. And by your faith in the truth, which is God's word that leads you to spiritual maturity, it was to this end that he called you through our gospel, the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, so that you may obtain and share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold tightly to the traditions which you were taught, whether they be by word of mouth or by letter from us. Father, I ask that you will give me something for your people today. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. When you fight in these battles, we don't know what the outcome's going to be. We don't know how we're going to come through it. A lot of times we literally don't know how we're going to come through it. We sometimes look at it and we say, God, this is bigger than me. I can't handle this. That, of course, is the time when he can do the most. When we finally realize, I can't handle it. This is more than I can take care of. But I want to remind you, you were not only called by God, you were chosen. Now, this is where a lot of argument and fight comes down through theologians and the Calvinist side says that they preach this as predestination, which I don't hold to. Predestination basically says this side gets to go to heaven, this side's going to hell. You had nothing going, you know, that's just how it's going to be. We can switch that if that would make you guys feel better. Um, (laughs) I don't believe that God randomly and arbitrarily says... Susie goes to heaven and Joe goes to hell. I don't think that's how it works. That word chosen there actually means that he draws you onto himself. And we have to take, as Isaiah 28 says, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, uh, and here a little, there a little. When you're looking at scripture, you can't take one passage or one verse and build a doctrine on it. You have to take the whole word of God as a whole and under, to understand what it is teaching. So I don't believe that God randomly and arbitrarily says that some are going to heaven and others are going to hell. For the Bible tells us in Matthew 22, it says, For many are called, but few are chosen. He also tells us in Revelation that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open the door, I'll come in and I will sup you, with you and you with me. So there's another side to it than God just randomly saying some are going to heaven and some are going to hell. But what he's saying there is that many are called. Everybody in here heard the gospel and responded to that gospel. Now we can't say how somebody is saved by a cookie cutter. Everybody got saved a different in a different circumstance. You might have heard a preacher on television and got saved. You might have gone to a Billy Graham uh, uh, 
meeting and gotten saved. You might have been sitting alone in your trailer like I was with nobody around or no television on, no radio on, and get saved. You may have had somebody witness to you on the street. It may have been your mother or your father that led you to the Lord. Everybody's story is different. But how you got your name written in the book was all the same. It was by receiving Christ, if you want to say, or accepting that call. So you are chosen. The Bible tells us in Peter that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are supposed to carry that banner with us. And I'm I'm telling you this today to encourage you to realize that when you're in the midst of that battle, you have to remember, I belong to Almighty God. The devil is throwing everything he has at me and he is fighting me with everything he has. But I belong to the risen King, the Lord of Lords, my King and my Savior. There is nothing the devil can do about it. He can rage, he can scream, he can holler, he can yell, he can try to deceive you, he can try to to warp you, he can try to bring distractions into your life. But there's nothing that Satan can do to take you out of the hand of God. He can do whatever He wants. But we are God's people. Called is an invitation. God invited us. We responded to that invitation. No two people get saved the same way. No two Christian lives are the same thing. There are some people that go sailing through their Christian experience. It's like God just blesses them. Man, they, everything they touches turns to gold. They have the Midas touch. There are other people that once they get saved, it seems like the battle starts from that day on. And it never stops. Do you realize that warfare is a part of your Christian experience? Most of us live the latter way, the second way. Most of us fight and struggle and labor in our Christian lives. None of us were saved the way that Saul of Tarshish was. None of us had that experience. And I have to wonder, out of all the people that have ever lived, why was Saul of Tarshish a man who hated you and I, He hated Christians and he spent his life doing nothing but seeing Christians be put to death. That's what he wanted to do. He stood there as as Stephen was stoned and he held their coats as as the men picked up stones and bashed in the skull of a saint of God. That was who Saul of Tarshish was. And he's on his way. What's he doing? He's heading to another city to put more Christians in prison and possibly kill some more. And all of a sudden, God shows up and he said hey stupid no that wasn't exactly your your translation may not say that but basically that hey dummy what do you think you're doing you're kicking against the thorns here guy you're kicking against me are you stupid what are you crazy and all of a sudden god started to work in his life what was going on god was knocking Was he knocking the same way he knocked for you? No, not exactly. But it was the same principle, God was knocking. Sometimes it's when you get in a car accident and you're laying in a hospital and all of a sudden the Spirit of the Lord starts to work in your life and you say, God, I, I, I can't do this anymore. Sometimes you're sitting in a jail cell and you're, and you're facing serious charges and you say, God, I, if you're real, Lord, 
I need you now. You know what? When you say, God, if you're real, will you show me something? You better be ready because it's about to happen. God will show you. Sometimes it's when you're in the doctor's office and he's just giving you the worst diagnosis that you've ever heard. Sometimes it's just sitting at the feet of your grandmother as she's telling you a Bible story. But whatever it is, it's the same thing that was happened to Saul of Tarshish right here. God was knocking. And Saul accepted that call. So he goes into the city. But you know what happens? This is where you and I come in. When God starts working in somebody's life and it's happening right here in this town right now, in this valley, Medellin, Medellin Falls, I own this Cusick, somebody right now, the Spirit of God is working in their heart. God is prepared. Isn't that what the Bible says? No man comes to the Father except the Spirit draw him. There are people being drawn. You didn't wake up one day totally uh, oblivious to God and five minutes later say, you know, I think I'm going to get saved now. God had started a work in you beforehand. And along the line, as God was working and formatting and, and, and building that within you, all of a sudden, somebody showed up at just the right time. Somebody, I was listening to a preacher a, a while back and he was talking about an incident that happened at their church and, and a huge church. Uh, and he said their head of security told him uh, a story. He said, you know, last Wednesday night when Bible study was going on, we were checking the parking lot and we found that there was a young lady whose car was broke down. And so we went and took care of her and helped her out and, and got her on her way. And he said... Uh, and this was the next Sunday morning, he said, Pastor, I just want you to know that woman is not here, but her parents are here. And he said, okay, why are, why are the parents here? What's going on? And, and he said, well, let me let you talk to them. So he brings in these two uh, parents, two Jewish folk, a man and a woman, obviously. And they come in and, and he, uh, he greeted them and talked to them. And, and he said that the man looked at him and he said, I don't even know why I'm here. He said, I've never, ever, we have never, ever in our lives ever stepped foot in a church. We have never been to a church. And, and he said, I don't even know what to expect. And the pastor said, I'll tell you what to expect. You're going you're gonna to meet a whole lot of happy people because they're saved. They know Jesus Christ. They're going to be happy and joyous and the choir is going to sing loud and they're going to lift up their voices and praise and it's just going to be a great time of worshiping God. So you come on. And so he let him out and he put him in the service and he said, the Lord just moved the message and he started preaching out of the Old Testament and he talked about the God of, of Jacob and Isaac and Abraham and he, and he talked about how God used a mule to proclaim the truth and he talked about all the Old Testament stuff that led to Jesus Christ. And he said afterwards, the, the man came up to him, uh, or actually went to the head of security and he said, do you know the pastor? And he said, yeah. And he said, would you leave him a message? He said, tell the pastor that was the most amazing thing I've ever experienced in, in my life. And my wife feels the same way. And tell him that we're going to go home and talk about this and tell him we will be back. Now, when you look at that situation, who caused the car to break down? <laughs> Somewhere God was putting wheels into motion. 
Somewhere God was preparing a path for this person, and I don't believe that that was the very first instance that the Holy Spirit had been working in that, that man and that woman's life. They had, the, the Spirit of the Lord had been working, and all of a sudden, God did what God did for Saul of Tarshish. You know what happened while Saul was on the road, and, and that light is shining from heaven, and he's talking to Almighty God? God was preparing another man. Remember that? Ananias. When God went to Ananias and he said, I've got somebody that I want you to talk to. And Ananias said, awesome, that'll be great, Lord. I'll do anything you want me to do. His name is Saul of Tarshish. Wait a minute, I have an appointment. I've heard about that guy. Not him. He kills people like me. I don't want to go talk to him. But God was preparing just like The Holy Spirit was working in a Jewish couple's hearts. I believe that. And God prepared somebody else to be ready for that day. And God used that circumstance to bring that couple to church. And I believe that God very possibly could save a family because of what happened when a car broke down and a Christian acted like a Christian. See, you got me wound up and I was trying not to do this. Talking about Jesus Christ, how do you not get wound up? I'm sorry. Praise the Lord. You are, you can never be a Jesus Christ. You can never be the Holy Spirit. But you can be an Ananias. You can be an Ananias. And you know what? You have no idea when it's happening. You just absolutely don't have a clue when that is happening in your life. You don't have a light turn on and God say, now, that's the person, get them, go after them. It just usually doesn't happen that way. A situation takes place, something happens, and you step into that role of an Ananias, and you go in there, and you meet a Saul of Tarshish, and you tell him the truth of Jesus Christ, and you show him the love of God. And that circumstance opens up and God blesses it. You are that person. You are able to be that person. Why? Because you've been chosen. You are chosen. Now, when God appeared to Saul, Saul responded, and I keep calling him Saul because that's who he was at that time. He became Paul later. When God was speaking to Saul, Saul asked him two things. Who are you, and what do you want me to do? See, without us knowing who Jesus is, there is no salvation. Salvation is the recognition that Jesus Christ is Almighty God. That He went to a cross and died for our sin. We recognize that. Saul said, who are you? And once he got that down and he understood, then he said, what would you have me to do? You notice that wasn't one thing that wasn't there at that encounter? Nowhere did God tell Saul of Tarshish, you come to me and all your troubles will be rolled away. That's not what he told him at all. In fact, when he went to Ananias, he told Ananias, he said, you go tell Saul or Paul all the things that he gets to suffer for me. And I heard a guy say one time, If God was to ask you 
do you want me to help you through the situation you're in or do you want me to take you out of it? And he said, when God asked me that, it stopped me in my tracks. Because see, as modern Christians, we often think if we have enough faith, we don't have to go through that trial. We don't have to go through that trouble. But sometimes that trial and that trouble and that difficulty is what is ordained for us because of what we need or someone else needs because of our trial. And if God was to ask us today, and each one of us I think needs to ask ourselves this, if God was to ask you, do you want me to take you through this trial in your life or do you want me to take you out of it? Do you want me to take it away from you? See, it's so easy to say, God, just take it away. I don't want to go through this, God. Just take it away. But you know what? God is glorified as His children go through these trials and stand strong with Him. Now, if we're in the midst of a trial and it shakes our faith to where we start questioning whether God even exists or whether He cares and all that, we're already answering that question. The answer is, I wanted to be out of it. But when we're in the midst of the trial and our faith deepens and strengthens and solidifies and grows grows stronger roots, we realize that we're saying, God, I'll go through this trial. I will go through this problem. And it's not going to turn me. It's not going to sway me. During that singspiration, we sang a song, and I don't even know which one it was. I just remember one line in it that said, and I think the, the line just said, but if he doesn't. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah, even, even if he doesn't? It's, yeah, even if yeah, something of that nature. And I, I was pondering that as I was... See, we, we like to think, God, if I pray, Lord God, make this cancer go away, it should go away. God, make this problem, make my unsaved child get saved, God. Make this happen and make that happen. But the question sometimes needs to be, what if he doesn't? What do we do then? See, we, can, we have people here that we prayed for a hundred times or more. God, take this away. Heal them. And, and, and we believe that and we pray, God, let it happen. But what if he doesn't? Does our faith stand strong? Do we stand with Him? Do we let it shake us? Because you know what? God doesn't always heal. We sure love Him too, but we have loved ones who have gravestones on top of them right now because God didn't heal. Because God didn't do what we wanted Him to do. But our faith isn't in faith. Our faith is in God. Our faith is not in miracles. Our faith is in God. See, you're making me preach a lot longer than I intended to, too. (laughs) Our faith is in the realization that Almighty God is in control. See, He never promised to give us everything we want, but He did promise that He would be everything we need. And if there's one thing I could leave you out of this message today is that line. That you need to hold on to and you need to pray about and you need to meditate on and you need to carry with you throughout this week. God did not promise that He would give you everything you want. But He did promise that He would be everything you need. If we can get that into our spirit, the way we deal with problems and trials and battles and struggles would be so much different. 
Because see, in the last 40 or 50 years, we've had it preached to us the other way around. That He would give you everything you want. But God didn't say that. We don't give our children everything they want. We love them too much for that. But you know, sometimes God calls us into the heat of the battle. Somebody had to storm the beaches at Normandy. Somebody had to charge at Gettysburg. Somebody, you know, you can go down the list. Somebody had to be in the battle and in that fight. But even though God doesn't always give us everything we want, in the midst of that trial, that battle, when the storm is raging, let me tell you again, the anchor holds. The anchor holds and it is not shaken because our anchor is not in this world and it's not in the things in this world and it's not in our bank account and it's not in our house and it's not in our car and it's not even in our family. Our anchor is in Jesus Christ, the risen King of kings and Lord of lords and He will see us through to the other side. We will never be left alone. We will never, ever fight this battle by ourselves. Because you can surround yourself with all the people in the world, but they can't help you one lick in the middle of your battle. But the Spirit of God can help you not only in the battle, but right on through the battle to the other side. And if that other side is in the presence of Jesus, praise God. If that battle is on the other side, that you're still here with your feet in the miry clay, praise God, I'm still here taking the banner of Jesus Christ. Because He will be what you need Him to be. When we face this, and I I want us to pray for some people today. I want us to pray. And we will pray like we always do, that God will heal. And we believe in divine healing. We've seen it too many times to not believe it. God heals. But more than anything, I want to pray for each other's faith. Because this has been a tough, year for people. People have taken hit after hit after hit after hit. And you know what? Every year that I live, I realize that this old body is probably not going to feel better a year from now than it does right now. It's going to probably feel worse. I struggle every more every, every year. And some of you are a day or two older than me. And so we, we struggle every year. It gets harder But you know what? Jesus Christ is still on the throne. And and praise God, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Could you stand and let's gather as a family and pray for one another.